Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. We hope you enjoy the upcoming podcast and hope this time is empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream God has put in your heart. The participants of this podcast are not attorneys, and this recording is not to be considered legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office where needed. Enjoy today's podcast. Hi, everybody. My name is Christine, and welcome to Beyond the Call, the podcast in which we talk about topics that help churches and ministries protect what God has called them to lead. Last week, we covered part one of the 10 most common questions that pastors ask us at Star Church as they start their church planning journey. Today, we're going to cover the second half of those questions. And joining us today is David Newkirk who has his own share of experience as a pastor and is on the sales team here at Start Church. David, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I, <clears throat> as Christy mentioned, I uh, pastored a, a church for a few years and also was associate pastor. And so it's been really neat to be a part of the team here at Start Church and uh, be able to help pastors and share experiences with them and guide them in some of the ways that they can help you know better establish some of that, that legal foundation of the church and yeah. help them with some of the resources uh, to start strengthen the church. That's awesome. That's so incredible. So we're halfway through the list of the top 10 questions we get at Start Church about the church planting journey. The sixth question on our list is how should churches pay pastors? Great question. This is something uh, definitely we get asked quite a bit is when it comes to the pastor's uh, paying compensation, oftentimes we're talking with the pastor. So it's uh, uh, often a uh, bit of an awkward thing initially to start the conversation about, but it is something that uh, the Bible talks about. A pastor is worthy of his uh, hire and uh, double honor, so we definitely want our pastors to understand that they, they deserve a, a reasonable compensation, and it also ties into some of the IRS code, too. Awesome. So, David, tell us a little bit of how to pay pastors a reasonable compensation. Yeah, good question. And Where a lot of this comes from is um, the IRS, um, a few years back, had a Fair Compensation Act of, uh, from six, Section uh, 61A of the IRS Code, and what it talked about is that um, that a, a, a pastor, um, all income that he receives, no matter what the source is for his ministerial duties, is considered income. But also a part of that goes into is the IRS wanted to set some sort of premise so that as a nonprofit, the pastor or any paid staff member is not grossly overcompensated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a common problem we see, but nevertheless, it's also good to know what is a fair compensation and uh, know what goes into that. So it could be things like uh, love offerings, honorariums, uh, the pastor's salary. Uh, even uh, as a church maybe wants to honor the pastor and his family and give him a Christmas bonus. Uh, and, and a lot of times we look at that as a gift of love, uh, but the IRS looks at that as a part of the income, ultimately. And so um, there's some, when it comes to that, figuring out what the reasonable compensation is, uh, one of the things we do at Star Church here is part of our compensation uh, agreement package is we are able to uh, help uh, pastors uh, fill out or, or put together that compensation agreement. Um, we work with a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, so we kind of know what 
what's normal, what's expected, what some things should go into that compensation agreement. Things, uh, if, the, if the church is going to take care of any of their health care needs, if the church is going to give them any type of uh, mileage reimbursement for using a personal vehicle, um, if the church is going to provide the main type of maybe educational um, uh, you know, benefit there too. So maybe the pastor has a conference he goes to every year to uh, sharpen his, uh, his, uh, his knowledge and his uh, maybe preaching skills or the case may be, or leadership skills. Uh, maybe the church part of the compensation wants to pay for that, um, uh, that uh, training. And so we'll put together a compensation agreement. What goes into that too is... Uh, some some kind of what I call market research almost, or, or some uh, analytics that goes in and, and looks at what a uh, comparable compensation would be for a pastor with those qualifications, with that experience, and that demographic. And this ties into the treasury regulation that, that's out there and, and figuring out what the uh, fair compensation is. So when we're done with our uh, report that we provide you, we show you what a low, medium, and high compensation level would be uh, for that pastor. And then we put nice. together the written document uh, for the compensation agreement that the church can then use, vote into practice, and amend in the future if they want to. So really at the core of that is have a pastoral compensation agreement. Yes. Definitely something super important to have. And I'll expand on that a little bit too. You know, one of the things I've received, we're talking here today about common questions, you know, that we have all the time. And, and um, some things have happened uh, in questions I've had is, you know, I've had a, a pastor call me and say, hey, uh, David, you know, I was on vacation for a couple of weeks. I came back and it was kind of awkward because there was no check. And he said he had talked with uh, the church and they said that they had to pay a guest preacher while he was gone. And so in their minds, it kind of made sense to give the check to the guest preacher. And he's like, David, am I, am I not entitled to paid vacation? And I was like, well, is it, do you have a document that shows that you should oh, be gosh. getting it? <laughs> <laughs> so you can see where a lot of this, and it wasn't the church was neglectful or didn't have anything against the pastor. It was just lack of knowledge and lack of calling these things ahead of time and laying out that agreement. Um, and so that can help a lot. And, and we've had the opposite happen too. I had an elder call me this year too and say, uh, what do I do? My pastor has gotten very popular. Uh, he's preaching out a lot. He's rarely in the pulpit and we're having to compensate him and compensate all these guest preachers. How do I handle this? My mm-hmm. first response was, well, do you have some sort of agreement in place? You know, uh, that outlines his duties and responsibilities. Is there an expectation put up? upon him of how many services he's going to be able to fill the pulpit. So these kind of things are stuff that we often don't think about until it gets to that point where it's kind of awkward to talk about. So our next big question pastors and church planters ask is should pastors and ministers opt out of social security? Good question. And this is something I I wrestled with too. Um, And, um, you know, I think now the knowledge I have today would make my decision a bit different than what it was back when I had this uh, decision put on my plate to, to make a uh, choice on. And uh, and so, and that's something we find. And as pastors call in, a lot of people think that if I'm going to opt out of Social Security, then that means I'm never getting any of that money that I've paid in for all these years. I'm not getting the benefits and all that. And that's um, that could be true, but it's not necessarily true. And let me break that down for you. The majority of ministers who enter the ministry today, most of them have worked in the secular job for probably 10 years. Um, if not, uh, that, that is the threshold. So once you earned 40 um, credits uh, in your Social Security retirement, so 
you know that form you get um, like February of each year and tells you how much money you yeah. paid in Social Security? Mm-hmm. That sheet will tell you how many credits you've earned at that point. And so if you had a, a full-time job uh, for 10 years straight, you've paid in enough to meet those 40 credits. Once you meet those 40 credits, and that means that you are eligible to receive the benefits, the Social Security retirement benefits. So, um, so when you opt out, if you choose to opt out of Social Security, you're just going to opt out of paying a more Social Security into the IRS from the money that you get from the ministry. Uh, now, the money you've already paid in through your secular jobs is still there, and it'll still be there for you if you've met your 40 credits. just means you're not going to pay more in. And so the decision ultimately is on, on the pastor, uh, what he feels is, is, is best interest for him. A lot of times, um, uh, pastors that I've talked to, they feel like they could uh, save that 15.3% that they would normally pay in for self-employment tax, which pays that Social Security, and better invest it maybe in a Roth IRA or some other money market type thing for the retirement. So with that, why would you opt out? Uh, so... Many people don't know um, all the details when it comes into uh, Social Security, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, and that whole program. So here at Start Church, if, if you were interested in opting out, we would uh, walk you through a form called the 4361 uh, to show you that you are eligible as a licensed, commissioned, or ordained minister to opt out of paying in the self-employment tax. Um, it Basically, you, you would choose and say that you're consciously opposed to the acceptance of any public insurance that makes payments toward the cost of Medicare. Uh, so you're eligible to opt out uh, if you oppose Social Security due to maybe your religious principles. A lot of pastors believe that putting their money in the Social Security system is a bad steward of what God has entrusted them with. Great. So continuing on the topic of getting paid, the next question is, should pastors receive a W-2? Or a 1099? I would love to do a poll and send it out to all the churches uh, and find out, are you paying your pastor the W-2 or a 1099? Uh, based on my time here at Start Church and talking with some of my pastor friends, I bet you that thing would come back 50-50 just about. Um, yeah. So this is definitely something that uh, when I bring up with pastors on the phone, they're surprised at my answer. Um, in short, pastors uh, are, are staff of the church, whether they're full-time or part-time, they should be receiving a W-2. Many churches think that it's up to their call. Like, they're the ones making the decision on which form they should should take. The reality of the fact is that it's not up to them. Uh, it's based upon the description of what that pastor is doing. So a 1099 is intended, if you don't know, for someone who is an independent contractor, someone who sets their own schedule, sets their own time, and uh, that's not necessarily what a pastor does there. And so that's why he should fall under that W-2 form. And then expanding on what I said there about what 1099 was, um, it goes into kind of three-prong aspect here is behavioral control. Does the church have the ability to dictate how and when the person performs his or her duties? If so, the, employee, the, the individual is an employee. Financial control. Does the church control the business aspects of the person's job? Is the individual able to seek other job opportunities? If the worker is not permitted to seek other job opportunities, he or she then is an employee of the church. And then relationship of the parties. Does the individual provide duties and services that are vital to the church's existence? I would hope that pastor could say yes to that. <laughs> and so for these things, you know, a pastor in the eyes of the IRS definitely looks 
uh, looks at him as being an employee, therefore a W-2. Great. So I know you've been talking a little bit more, but just to take it a step further, does it matter if churches give the right tax form to ministers? It really does, um, because there are there are some fines that can come um, to the church if they are not distributing the, the correct tax forms to their pastor. Um, you know, in the in, in the grossest uh, occasion, it could be up to a hundred thousand dollar fine for that. And so, it's important to a church to be educated and knowledgeable in this. Uh, and I think part of this too that goes into it, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit more, is. A lot of churches think that maybe that I'm not doing the W-2 because I'm not withholding taxes from the pastor. And that's an aspect uh, uh, that goes into uh, the whole dual taxation status of a minister. So you just mentioned dual tax status. Tell us a little bit more about that. What is that? Yeah, good question. So this is where, again, uh, when it comes to a pastor's uh, position, when it comes to his employment and the IRS, it gets it get, does get confusing. That's why you need uh, someone to help you along the process like us here at Start Church uh, to help you understand all these different uh, regulations. In short, it means that pastors are employees for the purpose of federal income tax, but at the same time they are considered self-employed for Social Security tax purposes. So you can see why and how this does get a little bit confusing when trying to determine which form to give the pastor and how to handle his taxes and tax withholdings. Um, so a pastor himself is responsible for, for withholding and reporting his own taxes. A church is not allowed to withhold a minister's taxes from his paycheck unless the two parties have a voluntary withholding agreement in place. As a result, the reporting uh, of a minister's income on a W-2 will look a little bit different than a W-2 for a typical employee. And so there's a lot of different dynamics that goes into that. I I would encourage you to to either read up on it or just give us a call here at Start Church. We can help uh, get a pastor set up um, in a way and help a church get set up using the proper W-2s and getting his tax withholdings done properly if he's not already chosen to opt out of self-employment tax and uh, get that squared away for you. So David just gave us a lot of great insight on compensation agreements and how pastors can really hone this in. Because you guys, this is a lot of details. There's so many nuances with the IRS, with your home church, and everything like that. So if you guys have more questions, please give us a call at 844-641-5718. And we would be more than happy to come alongside you and talk you guys through that. The next biggest question we get, and it's so unfortunate that we even really have to talk about it, but it's a reality. What makes a pastor steal church money from his or her own church? Yeah, this is unfortunately yeah, definitely something thing to talk about, something that does come up with questions that come in. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors, obviously, but it boils down to uh, unguarded heart. Um, it's easy to be the one who says, oh, that'll never happen to me uh, when facing some things going on. But the fact of the matter is the devil is out there. He's watching like a roaring lion. He's trying to attack, and he wants to stop that which God has put in motion to do. And so he's always looking for opportunity to do that. That's why it's very important as a pastor to to guard your heart, protect your heart. And um, some of the common kind of conditions, if you will, that a pastor should keep in mind uh, when trying to, you know, walk that path and, and have uh, honesty and truth before God and yeah. and man, 
is one thing we we have found. Of research says that pastors often feel alone. Uh, seven out of ten pastors claim that they don't have somebody that can truly call a friend. You know, it's it's tough. I was a pastor, and I know, I know what it's like. It's um, you definitely have friends in church, but that's not the same kind of friends that you would have um, if uh, you know you weren't a pastor over right. those people too. And so, uh, one of the best uh, advices I received when I was in Bible college is one of my uh, uh, senior. Uh, professors who was a pastor for many, many years. He talked about how uh, every pastor needs to have two important people in their life. Someone who can they can call a mentor, someone they can look up to and uh, admire and uh, glean wisdom from and ask them the hard questions and, and that that person can keep them accountable. But then also yeah. someone also who may be younger in the ministry they can reach out to and help and encourage and be that mentor to someone else. By putting yourself in this position between two, it helps you to kind of continue to um, keep the line moving in a way, if you will. Yeah. Uh, allows you to be able to invest in others while others are investing in you. And it kind of builds that bond of accountability. And that's what, are, what boils down to this. A lot of times... Uh, when you're pastoring, especially you starting a church, finances are tight, your personal finances are tight, the ministry finances are tight, and oftentimes in a church plant, a pastor is sacrificing a lot of his own personal money to get this church going and, and get it operational. And so the line gets very blurred between what is mine and what is the church's. Right. And yeah. be, when that line gets blurred, the devil wants to use that to take advantage of the mind of the pastor, the heart of the pastor. And, um, and and you get those thoughts in your mind like, well, I deserve uh, for this to be paid by the church, or I deserve this money because of this thing I did, or I gave so much. And those thoughts uh, are uh, thoughts that are, are, are from an unfiltered mind, uh, allowing the devil to uh, creep in and, and, and cause that misplaced heart. Wow, David, thank you so much for that insight. I mean, personally, I wouldn't have known to think about it that way, and I'm sure it touches home home base with a lot of other people. So thank you for talking through all that. So shifting away from that, our last question, which really can apply to new church planters or pastors who have been running a church for quite some time, do churches need security teams? You know, this is definitely, this is a question we get um, uh, from time to time. And uh, with, you know, all the violence that we see in our society, um, sadly, unfortunately, a church is uh, one who should be prepared. Right. Um, the, the Bible talks about we should do everything decently in order. And then when it comes to protecting the flock of God, uh, we, we, we as pastors are very diligent about wanting to protect them spiritually. Um, but we also need to be protecting them physically. Uh, a lot of the, the, the enemy, if you will, uh, whether we're talking about the devil or, or those he tries to influence and, uh, and um, attack the church, those people often look at the church as a very vulnerable uh, place. And it's, uh, as we know, it's a very dense population of people in a small footprint. And so it's important to have uh, security measures in place. Um, and security team is, is good to have set up, having them strategically placed around the building to be the eyes and ears and notification if something comes up. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit more of how we would start a church security team. Tell us a little bit more about that. Right. So step number one, you know, assess your needs. Uh, whether your church has 20 uh, members or 500, uh, you're going to need to be able to scale your security team according to your need. Also, think about the budget of it. Uh, make a list of what you believe is needed before you even start the team. 
Do you need 10 volunteers? Do you need five? Do you need walkie-talkies? Do you want to involve the local law enforcement? Um, stuff like that. Really assessing and counting the cost of what would go into building it. That's step number one. Step number two, get volunteers. Uh, it's a recommended uh, to have a screening process of potential members. You, you want to do a background check. Here at Star Church, part of the policies we make available to you includes one of a, a background check policy. Uh, I could use that and then use some external services to do that background check just to make sure that they are um, uh, right fit for that. Many churches have former law enforcement, former military veterans, uh, people who've worked in this field uh, in one way or another that could help out and would love to use the investment that God's had in their life in the past to be able to help their church in this capacity. Step three, uh, provide training for, for your team. There should be a clear set of policies and procedures. Uh, when it comes to any type of team, whether it be a football team, a baseball team, a basketball team, you got to have a plan so that, that team can work together to handle any situation that comes up. Same is true with your security team. Have yeah. a plan in place, practice it, go through it, hold training sessions. There's a lot of great resources out there today about um, people who can come on-site or you can take your team off-site and do some training. Number four, uh, put it in action. Uh, plans are great and, and they're necessary, but plans aren't going to do any good unless you put it into practice. This can, uh, this you know, when we're talking about the church security, it, it might not just be from a you know active shooter. It might not be just about some internal threat that may come up. It's also about medical emergencies, uh, natural disasters, uh, fire emergency. You know, whether you're in a hurricane or tornado uh, part of the country, uh, having a plan for those and how you're going to handle them is very important. Uh, knowing where your medical, you know, uh, aid kits are, uh, where your fire extinguishers are, your team should know where these things are at. If you have people who are CPR certified, uh, first aid certified, uh, identifying who those individuals are so you can call them into action whenever a need comes up. Yeah, definitely. And then five, manage. Uh, managing your team requires effort on your part. Show the team that they have value. Uh, uh, show appreciation to them and um, continue to invest in that team uh, so they're always vigilant uh, for whenever uh, whatever need comes up. That is incredible information. Thank you, David, so much for being here today and for talking us through all of that and shedding some light on the top questions church planters and pastors ask. So thanks again, David. Thank you for having me. And to those of you tuning in, we hope you found this information so helpful. If you have any further questions or if you'd like to provide us with feedback, feel free to email us at podcast at startchurch.com. Again, that's podcast at startchurch.com. Until next week, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you have heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Star Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.